So Chris has has very kindly uh, offered an hour of consulting with his good self for the prize for this week's competition, which I reckon must be worth about $8 million. So, <laughs> But seriously, we, we were saying this off camera before too. If you took some advice from someone like yourself and actually implemented it in your business, over the course of that business, it could be worth $8 million in additional revenue. That's not a stretch, right? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if it's if it's that big, right? But I know that I I went in 25 minutes I once gave I asked the question, right? And gave the advice to someone who uh, in a single year it transformed their business by $400,000, right? right? I didn't follow up in the years past, but a lot of times it's just asking a question when you're from an outside perspective, right? And and suddenly that's like, "Oh my god, how come I never thought of that before?" G'day, Troy Dean here, and welcome to episode 97 of the WP Elevation Podcast. Our feature guest this week is none other than the man himself, the one and only Mr. Chris Lemmer. That's right, I can't believe it's taken us so long to get him on the podcast, but here he is in episode 97. We're also in the middle of a crazy relaunch at the moment of the WP Elevation Blueprint course. It's going nuts. It's uh, really keeping us on our toes. We're having a lot of fun. We hope you are as well. If you want to get the entire blueprint, download it and start using it in your business and if you want to get your hands on our proposal template for landing $10,000 WordPress website projects and see us actually deconstruct a real live example of a $10,000 WordPress website proposal then head on over to wpelevation.com and uh, sign up for all the goodies. And of course, our feature guest this week needs no introduction. Chris Lemmer is the CTO and Chief Strategist at Crowd Favourite, a regular speaker at WordCamps all over the world, actually, and all-round Mr. Nice Guy, one of the most helpful people you'll come across in the WordPress community, of course, Chris Lemmer. It's a great episode. Stay with us. Let's elevate. This is the WP Elevation Podcast. Helping WordPress consultants elevate. This episode of the WP Elevation podcast is brought to you by the all-new, the brand-new, the relaunched WP Elevation Blueprint course. That's right, we have completely rebuilt and repackaged up everything we have been teaching at WP Elevation over the last two years into a brand new course that we are rolling out. And if you're listening to this podcast, uh, we're launching in a few days. In fact, the 2nd of September, we open the doors for seven days. We are accepting enrolments for seven days into the WP Elevation Blueprint course, which is a uh, course that teaches you how to run a WordPress consulting business from soup to nuts or from start to finish, as they say. Uh, We don't teach code or design, we teach business. How do you run a business as a WordPress freelancer or a WordPress consultant? That's what we're teaching, and uh, as I mentioned, we're opening enrollments on the 2nd of September. Uh, We've given away our $10,000 template uh, for writing $10,000 proposals. We've deconstructed a real-life example of that. Uh, We even gave away a MacBook Air and 400 bucks worth of Studio Press Genesis themes this week. It's been a big week. So if you want to get involved and get your hands on the templates and the blueprint that we're giving away at the moment, go to wpelevation.com and sign up for the goodies. And I look forward to seeing you inside the new WP Elevation course when we open enrollments on the 2nd of September.
G'day, Troy Dane here from WP Elevation, and I'm very pleased to have with me Chris Lemmer, finally on the WP Elevation podcast. Hey, man, how are you? I'm great. Awesome. I uh, thank you so much for for joining us. And I, I was just saying, um, we're saying off camera. I was talking to Jin, who works with us here in Melbourne, uh, the other day, and we're looking through our list of people who've been on the podcast. And I'm like, how have we not already had Chris Lemmer on the podcast? That is a major oversight. So I do apologise for that. No, no, not at all. It's great. <laughs> awesome. Um, so Chris has has very kindly uh, offered an hour of consulting with his good self for the prize for this week's competition, which I reckon must be worth about $8 million. So, <laughs> But seriously, we, we were saying this off camera before too. If you took some advice from someone like yourself and actually implemented it in your business, over the course of that business, it could be worth $8 million in additional revenue. That's not a stretch, right? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if it's if it's that big, right? But I know that I I went in 25 minutes. I once gave I asked the question, right, and gave the advice to someone who, uh, in a single year, it transformed their business by four hundred thousand dollars, right? I didn't follow up in the years past, but a lot of times it's just asking a question when you're from an outside perspective, right? And and suddenly that's like, oh my god, how come I never thought of that before? Exactly. Um, so stick around for details on how you can enter that competition a little bit later on. And I'll just reiterate, the prize is an hour of consulting with uh, Chris Lemmer. Um, we'll announce uh, details on that competition a little bit later on. Hey, before we start geeking off about all things WordPress, I know there are hundreds of people that have been dying to know the answer to this question. Chris Lemmer, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be an architect. An architect? Yeah. Ah, Cool. What, it what? was a, this this idea of building stuff, right? Building things. And I, it, it turns out, right, that's still the core of what I do. I've been building software for 21 years. I've been building teams of people for longer than that. And uh, I, I, it just, it, it always was this thing from the early on. How do you build something from nothing? How do you create something? That was really exciting to me. Were there any architects in your family? Uh, no, right. no, not at all. Um, I, I, which, which explains why they didn't understand what I would do. Right. Most, <laughs> most kids would get a toy and they'd be like, cool, a toy. And I'd be like, let's take it apart and let's see what's in it. Right. And, and when you're a child, some things you take apart, you can't put back together. So you just destroyed your parents' hard earned money. Right. So yeah. they're like, don't give him any toys. Right. <laughs> so, so the toy in our house was just Legos that I could use uh, and yeah, I could yeah, build. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But everything else, they're like, here's a TV for your room. And then they're like, what What did you do to it? <laughs> I wanted to see what it was. Oh, it was yeah, bad. Yeah. It reminds me of this, this fantastic book by Richard Feynman called The Pleasure of Finding Things Out, which I just yes, love. Yes, I love that book. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, yep. As an adult, there are some things you can take apart and not put back together too, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Which <laughs> sometimes have more dire consequences than when you do it when you're a kid. Um so, were, so did you actually go and study to become an architect? Were, were you, did you go down that path at all? I, I took some classes in junior high and high school, and then I, I did a visit to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, which is a, a well-known school, school in the U.S. for architecture. And I went to visit, uh, do a campus tour as a sophomore, junior in, college, in high school. And um, I found that there were students that were still doing homework, like working in the architecture lab at like midnight. And I'm like, this is on a Friday night. And I'm like, this is a horrible major. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to do this. This is a hor- if you have to be up until midnight, right, to just to get your work done. This is not the major for me. So I quickly bowed out of that and and went a different route. And uh, and so what did what did you switch to? What did you end up uh, studying? Uh, uh, social welfare. Oh wow. <laughs> very very different. Wow. Yeah, and yet. At the core of it, same kind of thing. It's mobilizing people. It's building organizations. It's taking policy and then enacting it and um, mobilizing uh, people to do things. So very, very similar building components to all of it, but mm. different 
different ways to, to live that out. Mm. Uh, does anyone in, in your family know what you do now for, for a job? Well, like, they, do they, do they, they know, understand it? They know, they know two things, right? They know that I am a software executive and have been for a long time. So they're like, okay, you're senior management mm -hmm. in companies. I get mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And you don't fix printers. They get that, <laughs> right? Because the, those are the only two things I, I explain. Well, I help run a software company. Yeah. They're like, okay, I, I have a mental picture for that. And yeah. I can't fix your printer. Just go buy a new one, right? Go buy a new one and you're done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and buy enough, buy enough print cartridges. When you buy the printer, this is, yeah. this is a quick tip. This could save you tons of money. Yeah. Um, buy enough printer cartridges to last you two years uh -huh. when you buy the printer yeah. such that you never have to go back to the store until yeah. you're ready to buy a, a new, new printer. printer. <laughs> <laughs> that is sound advice. I was, uh, I had one of our Elevation members here in the office earlier this morning and we were saying, you know, when you're, when you're a WordPress developer or a, or a web consultant, everyone automatically assumes that you can build a, a signature for their email and install it in Outlook for them. And they're like, no, 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 no. I don't understand how to use Outlook. Yeah, I don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, do you remember when, do you remember discovering the internet and realizing, okay, we can actually do business on the internet? Yeah. So in, I, I, I found the internet in 1994, mm -hmm. which was the beginning of the internet. Mm -hmm. um, so it was at the very beginning, uh, we were a couple of us, uh, last year college and, and first year out and checking things out. And we're like, this is, this is amazing. I went to work at a government research lab right there behind the campus of Berkeley. Uh, there was a government research lab there that was, that had the third fixed IP subnet of the internet. So very early on, one of the three main players building ARPANET and, and the internet. And, uh, and I got a job there and within a few months, they had done, this is when the government, the US government was doing those uh, turn off the government and send everybody home and then turn it back on. They were struggling oh, with budgets. Yeah, yeah. And so they cut a third of the lab personnel in, like I'd been there a couple of months and they cut a third of them. And I was in the training group and they cut all the people in the group. I mean, literally it was now just the supervisor, the, the boss and me, right? The, the, the guy, I cost so little that they didn't, <laughs> it wasn't worth cutting me, right? And, um, and I, it, this was in 1995, and I said, why don't we build the entire training infrastructure uh, online? And so we built the first uh, computer-based, in, in old, those days it used to be CD-ROM, and we mm. built the first computer-based online learning management system, an LMS, um, there at Berkeley Lab. And wow. the guys that, that later built Blackboard, mm -hmm. they were a little startup that came out to the lab to look at all the stuff we'd built. And wow. I worked with a company called Macromedia, later bought by Adobe, oh, yeah. to build build something called Shockwave uh -huh. that would allow us to do animation on the web. So it was the very, very beginning of this. And wow. I was, I mean, I just didn't sleep, right? We were up all night doing these things that we didn't even know if they were totally possible, but we were trying to do it, connect to databases, move data back and forth, save persisted files. This was all pre-session management and everything else. Mm. Um, so yeah, early days were a lot of fun. Where did you learn your chops? Like, where, Because you because you, you are quite technical. Was, so you just learn on the no, job. There was nowhere to learn that, right. right? In fact, at the time, the predominant programming model was a client server model. And what that meant in terms of client server was that the server and the person who was using the software on their desktop were connected the whole time. Mm. Like if you wanted to have fun with someone, you'd go to the database server mm. and you'd disconnect people and their com their computer where they were trying to connect, it would just fall down. Like mm. they couldn't do anything, right? Because <laughs> that was a connected world. And it was a lot of fun if you were messing like with your brother, but it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it was a very different business model. And the web was a disconnected dynamic, right? Mm. You, there was no connection between the guy on the web page and the server. So mm. 
we just tried everything. We we stayed up all night, many nights, digging into things, working with companies to elaborate the code and the libraries and the infrastructure and everything else, um, just so we could make this kind of stuff happen. Wow. Um, do you remember? So 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 here you are. Like you didn't want to work late in the architectural lab, but here you are, <laughs> <laughs> staying up all night inventing the internet. Why was that? Is it just because you found it more exciting or more passionate or? So I was a horrible student. Like right. I was just a horrible, like I barely went to school. Um, <laughs> I don't think Berkeley, I don't think UC Berkeley will own me as a student as much right. as I own them as a college. Right. Like, right. Hey, I graduated. They're like, right. we don't really know how. <laughs> um, so I was a horrible student, but the moment I graduated and I went to work at this government lab, it was a completely different kind of problem. We were using technology, but we were using technology to build things for a business context. And that felt way more real and way more interesting and way more engaging than anything I'd done before, right? Mm -hmm. Sitting in a room talking about theoretical stuff and, and listening to a lecture. So I was in love and it's been that way pretty much ever since. I mean, my, my, particular trajectory has all been in enterprise software, uh, building uh, SaaS or software as a service apps mm. for that that enterprise community and and solving real serious business problems, right? Mm. That they're willing to spend a decent amount of money to purchase. Mm. So it's that's it's been never ending and I've stayed up way more nights mm. than I would have as an architect. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just didn't know it at the time. Do you remember the first time you saw the WordPress dashboard? Yeah, uh, 2005. Uh, and it didn't look anything like all the other dashboards I was looking at. Everything else was a lot more complicated already by 2005. If you were if you were serious into uh, systems, I mean, if you'd been building and working with Oracle and PeopleSoft and other kinds of systems, WordPress was, it, it, it felt like notepad, right? You're just like, yeah. look, this is simple. I can do just about anything. Um, and, uh, and I was trying, I, uh, by that point I'd been working on, uh, le many startups, uh, helping them and getting their sites up. And, um, and the problem was they kept calling me to make changes. And I, I was just like, I just need, I need something where I can create five web pages mm. for their site mm. and let them edit it themselves. Mm. And I found WordPress. I checked it out one weekend. It was in like August of 2005. I checked it out and I could do it. Like I could literally, I could go, I had to tweak a little bit of the menu structure, but other than that, I could spin up a site and drop in everything and go, here you go. And they could edit their own site. And so I think the first, I guess, 50 or 60 websites, I didn't even use the loop. Mm -hmm. I didn't do anything with blog posts. It was just five or six actual physical pages, right? Mm -hmm. You just go there, there's your website. Um, do you, was it, was it for you? Was it like instant, was it like love at first sight for you? And did you know that you were going to be using this tool moving on? Or was that something that happened later? I would have never guessed that we'd be doing what we do today with WordPress then. So I looked at it as just one, I mean, in those days, right? You, you, you could go to wordpress.org and download it, right? But you mm. could also go to a host. Now there was no guarantee that the host would have the most recent version of the script. In mm. fact, in those days they didn't, mm. but you could spin up a website, click a button and it would spin up a script. And so it was a script like any other script. You're like, mm. okay, well, like I'll use it for this. Mm. At the time I thought this will just basically build simple websites mm. and, and we'll be good. And that, and that was solving a problem. So I didn't mind it. Mm. Uh, over time, as it got more and more feature rich, um, especially by the time 3.0 came out mm. with custom post types, um, it just felt like at that point, I can build software on this. Mm. 
Um, now, some of you, some people might not know if they've been living under a rock for the last six months that you are now with Crowd Favorite, right? Yes, nine months this last week. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that, that that so that was just after WordCamp Chicago, is that right? Uh, it was September fifteenth. Yeah, right. So mm. yeah, just uh, just a little bit after that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so thinking about uh, thinking about your role at Crowd Favorite and also what you do in your own time outside of Crowd Favorite, h- how do you describe what you do? What, like, do you have like an <laughs> elevator pitch, so to speak? Yeah. So I help companies operationalize strategies for growth, profit, and customer delight. And you're like, okay, I'm sorry. I, that was a lot of words. I just, I don't even know what that means. Right. I fix companies so they work better. Mm-hmm. Right. And I operationalize the way I do that is by oper- operationalizing strategy. So we take strategic approaches, right? Mm-hmm. These are strategies, fundamentally hypothesis. So we have hypotheses yeah. of how something should work better. Mm-hmm. And then we operationalize that, monitor it and make it better. And so I do that by managing engineers. I do that by managing marketing. I do that by driving uh, performance metrics and accountability into things. Mm-hmm. I change compensation programs and bonuses. There's a lot of different things I touch to help a business grow better. Mm-hmm. My day job for the last how many years, uh, 15 years at least, has been managing uh, software engineers and marketing uh, the core parts of a software company to help it grow. Um, there's still a lot of other parts that people have to play and a lot of other things to do, but the core, in a, particularly in a software company, um, it, often it comes down to the marketing side and the, and the product development or the engineering side. And so those are the two that normally I manage to drive it forward. A crowd favorite, I manage mostly the, the service business. So mm-hmm. all of the uh, engineers that are doing professional services. I manage the project managers who manage those projects. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I do a strategic work where, uh, you know, it's, it's a little less connected to projects and more about how we operationalize the business as a whole to, to drive towards both greater profits and greater customer delight. Mm. You guys are all a remote team. Is that right? A crowd favorite? We have offices. So we have some anchor offices, uh-huh. uh, Arizona, Las Vegas, mm-hmm. LA, um, uh, Italy, Italy is mostly sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, now the Netherlands, also, uh, Australia mm-hmm. out, uh, by you guys. And then, um, uh, a, an office in, um, Romania, mm-hmm. uh, and different ones of those offices focus on different things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, some of them have developers in them. Some of them have salespeople in them. Um, but, uh, but beyond those offices, then we also have remote staff. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a hybrid model of both. <clears throat> Where's, where does Alex work from? He's in... Uh, uh, Alex is in Denver. Denver, that's right. Yeah, and, uh, and, and Alex's role has shifted a bit now that, that the merger, right? So yeah. Crowd Favorite, the name of his boutique company, yeah. uh, is the name we've taken. Yeah. Velomedia was the parent company. Yeah. Um, so I was on the board of Velomedia. We then purchased several companies, mm-hmm. Pixel Jar, Crowd Favorite, mm-hmm. 40, um, we released Pixel Jar when it, they, f- they figured out they wanted to do something slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, we took up Crowd Favorite, we took up 40, and 40's brand, when they're doing design work, keeps doing that. Mm-hmm. But then the Crowd Favorite brand kind of encompasses all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Alex's role has now shifted a bit, and he's kind of stepped out to do kind of one person stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the boutique group in Denver is still there. Mm. And then of course we have all the other offices mm. as well to, uh, to help grow that business and, and sustain the service we do already. Do you spend much time in the actual offices or are you, are you pretty much just based working from home remotely? <laughs> I visit the offices, but I 
I don't, I don't spend a majority of my time in the offices. I spend a majority of my time uh, either here at home in San Diego or traveling to a client site or a word camp to speak at mm. or a conference to speak at that's not a word camp. Mm. Um, and that, so right now I'm in the middle of, I'm at the very beginning of three months mm. without any travel. Mm. And uh, that is very, very exciting. Yeah. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't done that in 10 years. Wow. So. Um, I was in San Diego last year for the first time in October for a conference, and my Lord, it is beautiful. I love San Diego. So I, I went out to Cape Town a couple of years ago, and they kept saying, look, look, isn't this beautiful? And I'm like, well, it is. And if I lived anywhere but San Diego, <laughs> I'd be super impressed. But, but you understand, I, I do live in San Diego. So don't keep pointing me to the ocean because I've seen that. <laughs> those mountains over there, yeah. the fact that those mountains are so close to the ocean, that's kind of interesting, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I... We call this place Eden. You guys just refer to it as San Diego. <laughs> Excellent. I love it. Uh, what to, so I think you've answered this question. What do you spend most of your time actually doing day to day in like meetings, in spreadsheets, in email? I mean, I know you spend a lot of time on Twitter. What else do you it's, do? <laughs> yeah, it's I, the majority of my time is spent either on the phone or in, in Skype calls or uh -huh. whatever, but on commu communicating with people yeah. or in a spreadsheet. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, I, I may be in a spreadsheet looking at a proposal for a, a project, mm -hmm. right? And we're looking over the cost basis of it and mm -hmm. the profitability matrix and everything else. Mm -hmm. I may be looking at a spreadsheet because we're talking about hours that developers have to, to go after. I may be looking at a spreadsheet to look at a business model for a new business we want to step into. Mm -hmm. uh, and then with clients, I may be on a Skype call with a client to settle something down, or mm -hmm. I may be on a call today. I was on a call just to talk through our capabilities because mm -hmm. there's a, they're a prospect mm -hmm. and I'm coming alongside business development to help them. Mm -hmm. Or I may be on a call with my staff, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, between phone and Excel, mm -hmm. those Skype and Excel seem to be open mm -hmm. nonstop, mm -hmm. right? How do you know what, I mean, this is a, a broader question and I know that a lot of freelancers have this challenge, but I'm interested in someone that's operating at your level, how you, how you know what it is you're supposed to be doing from one minute to the next and how in fact you know that what you're doing right now is the most valuable task that's adding the most value to the business. That is a massively important question. Yeah. And it's not just for freelancers. Yeah. Freelancers have to figure it out faster than everybody else yeah. because a mistake <laughs> in a freelancer's world could have perilous consequences. Correct. And in a corporate setting, unless you're the CEO and you're doing something strategically really, really wrong, mm. uh, there may be some wiggle room to navigate a mistake or two. Mm. Uh, but it's a critical, critical question. The way I define that for people is I say, okay, the first thing you have to do is you have to start with your roles, right? What roles are you in? What roles do you occupy? I sit in a strategic role. I also sit with a, uh, a you know, a management role, managing groups of people. I manage both PM, uh, project managers, but also manage developers. I sit in a, uh, as a, as a partner, an equity partner in the company. I sit as a, as a, you know, with a fiduciary responsibility around the business. So I have several roles. In each of those roles, and freelancers have the same, right? They're, they have the development role, but they also have maybe the customer acquisition role. They have some support role. They have the administrative role, like, you know, sending invoices. So you have, uh, you have roles. And in each role, you likely need to have one or two goals. Now, you can look at those goals in the five-minute, five-month, five-year you know, perspective just to get perspective on things. Mm. But fundamentally, the core goals you have should be at the monthly, quarterly, or annual level, mm. right? So you say, okay, this is, this, is my, this is my goal in that role. Every task you spend should further you towards mm. 
those roles and goals. When you're in the realm of doing that work, mm. you are likely on task. Mm. When you're pulled by other people <clears throat> into other tasks, you are likely off task. Mm. In every role with every goal, you likely have a long list of things that could be helpful, right? Mm. I, I, I joke about this with my team because I'll have someone, including the CEO of our company, call me and say, we have this problem. And I go, we do, you're right. What are you gonna do about it? Absolutely nothing. Like, wait, what? Um, hold on a second. I said we had this problem. I agree with you. And you agreed with me. I did. And we're not gonna do anything. Nope. Because high performers can really only focus on the top one, maybe two or three things on that list, mm. right? And if someone shows up to me and shows me a problem, and I even look at it and say, that's legitimately a problem, but it's problem number 24 mm. or 25, it is not worth solving. Mm. And so even to a CEO, even managing up, managing sideways, managing down, managing with customers, there's a lot of problems people find all the time. Mm. But if it's not in my top three, mm. I'm not spending time on it because there's a good chance that if I give it enough time and I fix the one, twos, and threes of the world, and then I fix the next ones, two, threes, mm. by the time I get to 27, mm. it may be gone. Yeah, that's so true, man. That's so true. And you know what? I mean, I, this is just a brain fart of an idea from me right now, but I think that the reason that we are tempted so often to fix idea 24 is because fixing problem one, two, and three is hard work and not yep. very sexy, whereas fixing problem 24 is instantaneous gratification and usually sexier than, you know, it satisfies a lizard brain and lets the neocortex go to sleep, which in actual yep. fact, to solve problem one, two, and three, we need to be putting all of our attention into that. And that's why it's yep. so easy to get distracted, yeah? That's, that's exactly right. So what happens is, when you're, when you're uh, looking at a problem number 27, right? Hey, we have a problem with our, with our vacation policy. Did you see someone just asked for vacation? And this is in the middle of our biggest time, right? This is, we have, we have really more projects than we can handle. Yeah. And now staff are just at, they're, they're not even asking, they're booking vacations yeah. and it's in summer and we need to do something about it. Yeah. I go, right. Yeah, no, I get that. Right. But you realize the reason that they're doing that stems from a bigger problem, which is yeah. they don't know that this is our heaviest time, which stems from a bigger problem, which is the communication to them about what's coming down the pipe is not cl clear to them. Yeah. Or it may be the result of the fact that they don't have ownership over this upcoming work, mm. which means they don't really care. Mm. Either way, those mm. are much bigger problems Correct. than a vacation policy. Right. So if I solve the vacation problem, it will simply manifest in a new way. That's right. I cannot solve problem manifestations. Yeah. I have to solve problems. Yeah. And that means that I go to the core of the issues and say, what are the core things we have to figure out? So yeah. I spent the first six months looking at profitability, huh. right? And every time someone would ping me on something, I'd go, okay, great. Would you like me to stop worrying about profitability? They're like, no, 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 no. Great. <laughs> then let me solve problems one and two. Yeah. And, and those things don't change quickly, right? But That's six right. months later, six months later, eight months later, you know, our COO is looking at me going, you know, our utilization's way up and our, our bank balance is the highest it's been. Yeah. And, th and I'm like, feel free to tweet that guys. Feel free to tweet, like go out and since Chris came on board, right? Our bank balance has never been higher. And he's like, no, I'm not tweeting that. I'm like, okay, but, but you realize that would not have been possible if we were focused on problems. The vacation policy, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, what's the one thing that, and you're only allowed one, what's the one thing that keeps you awake at night about the business? 
Oh, see, you added about the business. This is where I was going to make the joke about my wife's gas, which would have been a lie, but it still would have been a really good line. And then you had to add the in your business. It would have been very funny. Yeah, yeah. um, She would kill me, but she doesn't listen to these podcasts, so it's okay. Um, The one thing right now, uh, right now keeps me up at night is um, how how we're going to create enough opportunity for our staff, enough leadership opportunities, enough growth opportunities to keep them past about the three-year mark. Mm. Uh, On average, in the tech space, people leave after 18 months. Mm. On average, for me, people that work for me tend to leave after about six years. So it's a big deal for me to keep staff around for a long time. Mm. But in order to do that, Mm. the business has to keep growing so that opportunities are being created Mm. so that people can see a path towards their next step. That's probably the thing. Again, it's a problem that won't get solved with a simple thing, right? It's, it's going to take several different vectors to, to come together in a line to say, okay, this is how we're growing in such a way that we're creating opportunities, but we need to be able to do that if we want to keep superstars around for more than two to three years. Mm. It's it's interesting you'd say that. I worked with an accounting firm a couple of years ago and we did like a, a half-day discovery workshop on what was important to the firm. And part of that was, you know, what was important to... So we were saying, you know, why do you need a website? Because most accountants don't need a website to get new clients. They need a website to get better quality clients so they can get rid of all the mum and pup shops they don't want who aren't profitable. And the biggest problem a lot of professional firms have is attracting good graduates and keeping them. So we started talking to the staff there. And I remember saying to one of the staff, what's really important to you in, in this role? And he, he said, well, of course, good pay is important, but that's actually not as important as, as um, autonomy and variety. He's yep. like, you know, if I feel like I'm being micromanaged and I'm doing data entry all day, you can't pay me enough to stay around. I will eventually leave. Whereas, you know, if I feel like I've got a bit of responsibility and a bit of autonomy over my role and my role has variety, then you don't, probably don't have to pay me as much. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. And, and so here's the problem. Our thinking in management, our thinking in companies, and this you see this in companies as small as five people. This is not an enterprise scale problem. This is a problem that starts very early on and grows from there. And that is we still have industrial age mechanistic perspectives on management and leadership. Mm-hmm. Our goal in, in a factory model, your goal is to break things down into very simple tasks and then repeat them until you refine the highest performance possible. You're looking for efficiency. When you translate that to people, what you do is you give them a small task, they become experts at it, and then you ask them to do the same thing four million times. Mm. That's the fastest way to get high performers to quit. Mm. Fastest way, mm. right? But you keep thinking as a boss, you're like, well, I'm going to give the, the, the MySQL stuff to the MySQL guy. I'm going to mm. give the jQuery stuff to the jQuery guy. Mm. I'm gonna, and so you keep creating these specialties, but then it turns out after problems one and two, after you know the, the you know project one and two, the next 14 projects are all pretty much the same. Mm. And the guy's bored out of his you know, gourd, so he's just like, I'm, I'm looking for a new job. Mm. You have to create variety. You have to give people a growth path. Mm. And not only do you have to do it, they have to see that you're doing it. They have to feel that you're doing it. Mm. The moment they don't have to worry about their career, the moment they realize you're worrying about their career path and mm. not just maximizing profit off their resource-oriented body, mm. The moment they understand that, a weight is lifted and they're free to be creative and, and be a high performer. Mm. They cannot be that high performer if they're also constantly worrying, if I don't get this next raise and if I don't have that next spot, I should just start looking for another job. Mm. You're not going to get the best from them. Yeah. Um, what do you do when you're not working? 
I hang out in the hot tub now. We just finished our pool back in January, oh, February. Nice. And so we have a hot tub and a pool and I smoke cigars in the hot tub. <laughs> and I, I, other than that, I read. That's right? fantastic. So, yeah. That just, just sounds just, com- it sounds completely luxurious. It's just great. It, 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 it is. So we <laughs> yeah. took someone, a, a good friend of ours who has traveled with us. Uh, he and I, he's gone to uh, probably every major speaking event, non-WordPress related that I've spoken at for the last maybe eight years. He worked with me, he was my right-hand guy at Emphasis. And he and I have invited our wives to many of these places to spend weekends here and there. So we've traveled all over, we've gone on family vacations and he, he finally came to the house just a couple weeks ago because uh, we finally finished the backyard. So he came out and he looked at it and he goes, that reminds me of this place. That reminds me of this. And I'm like, yes, I did recreate several resorts in our backyard. <laughs> He's like, this is amazing. I'm like, right. And our kids came out and they were like, hey, it's like a vacation every day. And, and I'm like, yes, I win. Awesome. Right? So That's great. It's fantastic. Fantastic. Um, okay. So this is a bit of a, this is, this question kind of ties into, I guess, what's the one thing that keeps you awake at night. But if you could think, if you could wave a magic wand and fix one thing in the business right now, what would it be? Hmm. I think one of the things that goes on when you're working with large projects and large enterprises is you still get that feed of smaller projects and it just feels like there's constantly a challenge to find trustworthy um, players in the market that will deliver that work that I can refer people to. Mm. If I could, if I could wave a magic wand and say, I need a person or I need a team that'll do a $2,000 to $8,000 project, maybe up to $10,000 project, but not just that they have the skills to do it, but they have the communication style, Mm. right? To consistently communicate, to not disappear, to regularly be available, to answer questions, to treat the customers as top-notch customers. If that company or many companies like it existed Mm. and I knew about them and I could pass leads to them, Mm. I would gladly do it. What we discover is, Everybody that's in that place <clears throat> tries to move up market. So that place keeps being emptied out. And mm. then on top of that, the communication styles are really poor. Like they're like, no, I don't answer the phone. I don't want to talk to anyone. You have to send me a text. I'm only available at weird hours. Right. <laughs> and you're like, uh, this is, I, I can't, I can't do anything. Right. So. Nice. Well, hey, you heard it here first on the WP Elevation podcast. <laughs> if you fit that mold, reach out to Chris Limit and introduce yourself. Um, Hey, I want to talk a little bit about WordPress and and a little bit about the community and the kind of some of the the uh, things that I think are unique to the WordPress community. Why do you think it is that a lot of people who use WordPress have like a love affair with WordPress? Like I, I think of the WordPress community sometimes as like a Star Trek convention where people who use WordPress are so passionate, irrationally passionate about WordPress. You go to a Word camp or a, or a WordPress meetup and there are like, t-shirts and coffee mugs and cap hats everywhere with WordPress all over it. And people end up using WordPress becomes so embedded in the community that it's not about WordPress anymore, is it? Why do you think that's happened with WordPress? Uh, That's a great question. I think, okay, let me back up. Let let me ask you, I don't know if this happened in your high school, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, But do you remember how there were all sorts of kind of smart kids that were not very popular, that were hanging on the fringes of things. And yet, if you looked at the kids that were not nearly as smart, they were sitting all together, sitting on top of the tables instead of sitting at the benches. They were smoking cigarettes when they probably shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. And 
people were yelling at them, but they were totally connected. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Definitely. So those smart kids had to grow up at some point, mm-hmm. right? And those smart kids spent a majority of their early life, right, just not connected. Mm-hmm. It, some of them were lucky enough to be in like maybe band, right? I'm making mm-hmm. a gross generalization. Mm-hmm. Or they were they were connected in the chess club. But mm-hmm. these were not the these were not the star football players necessarily. Mm-hmm. These were not the people that were in the cool group sitting on the table smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. This was another group of people. And when they found each other in WordPress, mm-hmm. they found far more than a piece of software, mm-hmm. right? If you, I, I spent years in the software world working with Microsoft, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and before that, other technologies. But, mm-hmm. but when you, if you went to a Microsoft conference, it was equivalent to high school. There was just, there was a couple of cool people. There was a lot of other people. There was a lot of strangers. People didn't interact with each other. They go, they sit in a room, they listen to someone talk, they all leave. That's it. That mm. was the way it worked, right? Yet you go into a WordCamp, you go to an event and people walk up to the people on the edge of the room. They walk up to them and they're like, Hey, what's your name? What do you do? And they start building these relationships. And all of a sudden you have found something far more important than software. You have found community, mm. right? And so the reality is the number of people that use WordPress is it's massive, right? We're mm. ta- it's just massive. Mm. But the number of people, if you took all the people in your community, that listen to this podcast mm-hmm. and they're a part of, uh, you know, your, your website and you took all the people that went to meetups, mm-hmm. all that stuff. You're, you're, I don't even know if you're talking about 10,000. It may be less than 10,000, right? But, but this group of people that go to meetups consistently, that show up to WordCamps, that mm. get involved in these little mini communities on websites, mm. these people have found community and some of them have found community for the first time mm. in their life. Mm. So when that happens, you can't help but feel evangelistic mm. about this community and therefore about the product. I think the product grows by proxy. Mm. I think it grows because of the community, not the other way around. Most people think the community grows because of the product. I don't think that's the case. I think because this is a volunteer effort to even build the product, mm-hmm. I think the product is built by the community. I think the community is what kicks it off. And so this radical inclusivity, this desire, and you, you, I don't know if you've managed a WordCamp, but these WordCamps, the foundation says you should try and have, uh, you know, 50% of the speakers be women. You should try and have, uh, you know, 30% or more of the, of the speaker, 70% or more of the speakers be local. There's a commitment from the foundation on these events hmm. to make it a level playing field where everybody gets a shot at stuff. New mm. people get to speak. Other people that, they've, they've been in other tech communities and they've been ignored, right? They mm. show up to a conference. A woman shows up to a conference wearing a t-shirt that says, you know, I'm a programmer. And they're like, Did, are you wearing your boyfriend's t-shirt? And you're like, <laughs> you're a jerk, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so so I think that's why people get so emotional and connected. And I, I hate to even use that example because there is probably going to be some really popular football player who's going to be like, that was just stupid, man. I was popular in high school and I'm popular now. But, <laughs> but, but there's a whole lot of other people that never experienced that kind of teamness yeah. that you have in a sport. Um, and now they're experiencing it in the WordPress community. Yeah. And it's interesting you say about the level playing field too, because having said that, the interesting thing is, and I can speak from personal experience, you go to a WordCamp or you start exploring the WordPress community and when you are a newbie, I see this happen all the time now that I'm a podcaster, that you, you are intimidated by all of these 
and I'll put in, in air quotes, rock stars of the WordPress space, right? So when I first started out, it was the 80 PNRs of the world. And the before I discovered you, it was the, you know, Corey Miller and uh, all these guys who, who I was just like, oh, and of course, Matt Mullerwein was like, oh, wow, you know, these guys are total rock stars. The funny thing is now, if I go to a WordCamp or I turn up somewhere and people recognize me from the podcast, and this happened at WordCamp Chicago, and that I cannot remember the gentleman's name, it escapes me, but the guy who designed the interface for the new Rainmaker platform, right? Yeah. Comes up to me at WordCamp Chicago and introduces himself and says, oh, I'm a huge fan, you know, of the podcast, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I was humbled. And I'm like, oh, thank you very much. And then I discover who he is. And I'm like, dude, you're the rock star. Like, I'm a right. huge you're, fan you're of talking, yours. You're talking about Rafal Tamal, right? Yes, 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 And yes. you're like, you're like, oh, my God, Rafal. I yeah. can't believe I'm standing in your presence, Rafal. Yes. You're amazing. And he's exactly. like, no, 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 you are amazing. And you're like, we're both amazing. That's this right. is awesome, right? <laughs> so, so here's the question. Uh, and I know you get this because you've, you've, you're, you are very well known in the WordPress, in the WordPress space, <clears throat> excuse me, and you have a large following. And I know I get this, you get this because people tell me, people are, they look up to you and they respect your opinion and they think, you know, wow, if only I could get five minutes with Chris Lemmer. What is your advice to someone who is relatively new or young in the community who feels intimidated by the rock stars, but who, who kind of feels at home in the community, but feels a little bit intimidated by the veterans or the rock stars? What's your advice to them? So the first thing to note is I've been in at least six or seven different technology communities over the course of 21 years. And I can tell you that the WordPress community is the most accessible that there is, mm. period, mm. bar none. The second thing to note is even though we have rock stars, just like most other technology communities have, our rock stars are totally approachable. Mm. Meaning you can walk up to Lisa Saban Wilson and say, mm. hi, I'm Chris Emma. I know you're Lisa. I know you've written great books. I just want to say hello. And she's not like, <laughs> what are you doing here? Like, get away from me. She did, that's not her. She's like, hi, yeah. how are you doing? What are you up to? Are you having a good time? Um, the same thing with AD, the same thing with any of these guys, right? Um, yeah. Corey Miller is one of the most approachable, <laughs> most awesome guys. They'll take time out and listen to you, whatever, right? I mean, yeah. um, so, so the second notion is because it's so approachable, all you have to do is muster up the courage to say the first words, mm. right? I, I tell people, um, which will get to my third point, but I tell people, I would go up to people and they would say, hi, I'm Lisa Saban Wilson, or hi, I'm, you know, Tony Perez. And I would say, because I, I couldn't think on my feet, right? I'd be so like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm standing right in front of you. Hmm. So I would say, I know, <laughs> which, which, cause, it, cause you're just like, I can't believe you're right here. Like, oh my God. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you're like, oh, sorry. Hi, I'm Chris Summer. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the third thing is, right. Uh, you, you have to, you have to be willing to just, you, you, you know, if you have the courage and you walk up and you say hello, right. Is ask the question you've wanted to ask. Yeah. yeah. Right. Just ask it. The worst that can happen is mm. someone says, that's a great question. Mm. I don't have time right now. Can, here's a way to connect. Let's circle back and answer it later. Right. Yeah. That's the worst that happens. The best that can happen is someone literally turns to you and starts giving you yeah. some of the best advice you've ever gotten in your life. Totally. And you're like, I can't believe this has happened, right? Yeah. I tell people, if you call me on Clarity, it costs you, I, I think it's um, $400 an hour to talk to me. Uh -huh. If you do coaching with me, right, it's $750 an hour. If you find me at a WordCamp, it is free, Yeah. right? It is free. All you have to do is walk up and go, hey, Chris, I got this question. And yeah. unless I'm in the middle of a conversation with someone, for the yeah. most part, I'll go like, yeah, uh, what's up? Yeah. Talk, talk to me, right? And people are blown away. They're like, I can't believe you're going to do that. And I'm like... This is our community. This is where we give back. So yeah. go ahead, ask all the questions you want to ask. Yeah, yeah. It's great advice. Um, and I, I totally second that. When I first went to Pressnomics, 
the very first Pressnomics, I was blown away by everyone who was there and I was freaked out and intimidated by everyone who was there. This is before I started a podcast and everyone was amazing. I had lunch with AD. I hung out with the, the night before I hung out with the night before Pressnomics started. I hung out with Corey uh, Miller and his lovely wife, Lindsay, who was very pregnant at the time. And Corey and I got horribly drunk and Lindsay didn't because she was very pregnant. And uh, it was it was fantastic. And I, and I felt like within two days, I felt like I was part of the community. And I kind of came away from that realizing that the only disconnect between the rock stars and the newbies is the perception and kind of the insecurity if you like in the newbies head and it's like you just have to get over that and approach people and talk to them and have conversations and you realize that we're all human and we've all got the same fears and the same desires and you know we're all in this together um just quickly uh, before we get into the our elevation round what do you think the challenge what do you think and I i have this is not in the script so i'm throwing you in the deep end what do you think the big challenge is for the wordpress community over the next you know 12 months to two years so the 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 challenge is that WordPress, in order for it to grow and, and keep growing, it needs to meet the needs of two different audiences at the same time. So the reality is the world is still building websites. The number of people that still need websites is astonishing. Mm. And so everyone at the low end of the market, people who want to spend $100 and $1,000 on a website, not only do they exist, it's growing, mm. right? What I call that is I call that growing at the outside edge, right? Mm. Whatever you imagine the circle of sphere of influence that WordPress has, it is growing at the outside edge. At the same time, if you take the center of the, the core of this thing and you push it way up, you're going to see that there's more and more requests to take it up market to the enterprise space, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's where I spend more of my time. Mm-hmm. And in the enterprise space, WordPress still has to do several things to really get it right up there. The problem is the things that the enterprise needs and the things that the end user needs are not always in alignment. Mm. And so the the tricky challenge, right? Because WordPress doesn't have, the project doesn't have a product manager. Mm. It doesn't have a series of product managers that think through which features when. We still treat you know, WordPress fundamentally as an engineering effort, which means that you know everybody tries to build plugins as features, you know, features as plugins. And then they just go, Hey, can it fit in? Can it fit in? Yes. Okay. Then it will fit in. No one, there's very, there's very little discussion about should it fit in? Should we do something? Right. And that's going to become a bigger and bigger question as it tries to grow at the edges and try and go up market. I, and and you need it, right. You need it to go up market because Mm -hmm. when Ford announces that all of its infrastructure is running on WordPress for all its marketing sites and everything else, for all of its lead generation, and even for its customer service apps. When Ford announces that, think of all the mini Fords, think of all the little companies that all say, yes, I wanna use WordPress. So Mm. that has to happen for it to grow. Mm. But at the same time, the little guy, right? He still needs to be able to do what he needs to do. So I think the product management and portfolio management challenges, the feature, not can we do it, but should we do it kind of questions are going to be critical and it's unclear exactly what kind of infrastructure or support that kind of leadership requires and whether or not we have it to date. Mm. Um, kind of dovetailing, I guess, into that question, the recent acquisition of Woo by Automatic, and again, I haven't scripted you with this, so I'm throwing you right in the deep end. What do you think the future is for the premium plugin ecosystem? And do you think that 
do you think that we'll see some changes there given that Automatic have now – I mean, what I thought was interesting when Automatic acquired Woo is that the, the message that we've kind of been – well, that I've been hearing from Automatic is that – and from Matt particularly is that, you know, premium plugins that code should be free – Woo's revenue is all predominantly from WooCommerce extensions, which are all premium plugins. Do you think that there'll be a shift now in the premium plugin space because of this acquisition? I don't know that there will be. Um, I don't, I think you have to start with a core underlying question, which is why did Automatic buy WooCommerce? Mm. I don't know that anyone has articulated the answer to that. And I definitely don't know that anyone has articulated it in a way that's been verified right? Was automatic buying the revenue stream, right? And so what they, the, so they plan to keep selling uh, extensions forever because they're hoping that that will grow because they want the revenue stream or were they buying market share because what's known is not the subscriptions extension for $99. What's known is WooCommerce, the brand, mm. and they're trying to buy and, and WooCommerce itself is free. Mm. So they're trying to buy market share. If they're buying market share, the answer is going to look different than if they're buying revenue. Yeah. On top of that, the third dynamic is they have their own employees, right? Mm -hmm. Automatic has its own employees. And again, I don't have any scientific data, but I've, I've noticed, I've noted that Every 18 months, maybe, there's a group of people that leave automatic. My gut guess is it's because they're bored of the problems they're facing. They're dealing with some of the same problems over and over, and so mm. they want to go try something new. Mm. And the acquisition of, of an, of an e-commerce solution provides a new playing field for those high performers in automatic that needed a new puzzle to solve. Mm. So it could be <clears throat> the purchase of a, uh, a way to mitigate attrition, right? So I can give like right now, mm. right off the cuff, I can give you three different hypotheses mm. for why that acquisition was strategic for that company. Mm. Until we know the answer to why, mm. we won't know if there's going to be a change in premium plugin positioning from Matt. Does so that make sense? It does. So, so my understanding, or and my kind of perception of it, is that automatic by Woo, because in order to get to fifty percent adoption of WordPress, they need the kind of market share of e-commerce sites that WooCommerce powers in order to go up against Squarespace and the Shopify's of the world. So, it, so in order to get that fifty percent adoption, that WooCommerce is going to help them get there. Is that a fair assumption? Do you think it's 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 one answer? But mm. remember, they're currently partners with Shopify, mm. so. Um, you know, that's that's going to put a, a ding in that relationship potentially if that's mm. what they're going for. Mm. Um, I I know that it's a good purchase. I know that it makes good sense. Mm. Um, I know that Matt is smart. And more importantly, I know that the people that hang around Matt and mm. make uh, advice related to acquisitions are very smart. Mm. I, I raised a bunch of money in, in Silicon Valley. I worked with a lot of venture capitalists. And I can tell you, some of these guys, regardless of the per particular domain, these are very smart people. Mm. They work in very complicated models. Mm. So I don't doubt that this was a good call. I just don't know that we know what the actual call was. Mm. I don't know what they're going for. Mm. Um, and so it's very interesting, right? If it was immediate market share and a drive towards market share, uh, I think you're going to see right? Certain dynamics shift right away, right? Because then you would imagine, if that's your hypothesis, you would imagine it's going to show up for dot-com sites. Yeah, that's what right? that was That was my next question. At right? what point but, do you think WooCommerce shows but up I don't dot think, com? <laughs> I don't think it's going to show up. I, my, I personally don't think it's going to show up for dot-com for at least a year, maybe 18 months. Yeah. And so that might mean that maybe that's not the driver. Maybe yeah. something else is the driver, mm. right? Interesting. Um, and a lot can happen in 18 months. Um, yep. 
so, all right, we should do the elevation round. Uh, those that don't know WP, I mean, those that don't know, come on, who doesn't know? WP Elevation is a business coaching program for WordPress consultants. So I'm about to ask Chris Lemmer a series of quick questions about freelancing and consulting, and he's about to give us the best answers we've ever had. What? <laughs> no pressure. What is the number one thing any freelancer or consultant needs to know? Raise your rates. Thank you. What's the best thing you've ever done to find new customers? Talk to people on the phone. How do you stop competing on price? Change the narrative. Yes. Any tips? Oh, that is such a great answer, man. Any tips on writing better proposals? Write like a human. Hmm. Uh, do you have a favorite tool or system for CRM? My email. Mm -hmm. What's the best way to keep a project and a client on track? Constant, consistent, regular communication. Yep. CCRC. <laughs> nice acronym there. Any ideas for getting referrals from existing clients? Ask them. Yep. And particularly ask them right after they've seen, not the project's done. That's when most people do it. Right after they've seen benefit. That may be three months out or four yeah. months out, but the moment they've seen the inflection point, yep. I talked about at the very beginning of this, I, mm -hmm. I gave someone a, a change to their business. Mm -hmm. And then within three months, it had a net impact uh, on their revenue and profit by $400,000. Mm. At that point mm. is when you want to ask them mm. for the recommendation, mm. right? Because that's when they see clearly that, you know, they spent 4,000 or $5,000 over a series of a couple months to, to do some coaching. Mm. And in that one moment, right, everything became worth it and worth it in ridiculous spades, right? Mm. So ask, ask for the, the referral, but ask for it at the right moment. Uh, and final question in the Elevation Round, what is the number one thing you can do to differentiate yourself? Tell better stories. Yes. Oh, good answers, man. Good answers. Hey, um, what's the future for you? Where do you reckon, where do you reckon you're going to be? I mean, the, the thing is, you know, <clears throat> it, for me, my, my kind of, the way I always explain Chris Lambert is like, you're a big fish in a big pond. I mean, it's kind of a little pond, right? But it's kind of a big pond and you're one of the biggest fish in, 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 in the pond in terms of the, what you put out, the content that you put out, um, your standing in the community, um, the, the value that you add to the community. Is this sustainable? I mean, will you still be doing what you're doing in 12 months' time? <laughs> or will you just be smoking cigars in the hot tub? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I came on the podcast to announce my early retirement is, is <laughs> yes, what happened. we have a coup. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is an exclusive just for you. Oh, thank um, you, man. I appreciate it. So, so I think it's sustainable. Um, in order to be sustainable in what you're doing, right, and in order to develop a following, in order to have a brand and everything else, you need to focus on generosity, mm on genuine affection, right? And focus on the grind, mm -hmm. right? So generosity is share everything you know, right? Most people tend to think of that whole, like I have a secret sauce and then I'm gonna protect it. Mm. I'm, I'm telling you my secret sauce, right? So by definition, I don't believe that. Yep. Um, there is no such thing as intellectual property. It's all about the execution. Yep. So share everything you know, yep. right? Um, genuine affection, you gotta learn to like people, yeah. right? And every time you meet someone, find something in them that you like, right? Yeah. And, uh, and then, and then the grind, you just gotta, you just gotta do it and keep doing it and keep doing it. Yeah. yeah. Good advice. Um, Hey, where can people reach out and, and uh, thank you for this interview, Chris? Uh, I blog over at chrislama.com. I'm on Twitter at Chris Lemma. Mm -hmm. That's L E M A in case you're trying to figure out how to, you know, write the last name. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and then of course I, you know, I'm, around at WordCamps and, and other events where people can walk up and say hello. 
You surely are. And um, I, which is, in fact, where I met you, I think, did we must have met at the first Pressnomics. I think that's probably yes, where we met. Yes, but we met long before that. You keep forgetting. Way back when, you were doing video user manuals, and you were trying to build a membership site, and you went on Twitter and asked a question, and I started answering your questions, and then you had another question, so I went and wrote an article for you, and I sent you the link to the article, and you're like, I don't know who this guy is, but dang, thank you. That's That's exactly what I need. And so I tell people, I'm like, if you've been to any of the sites that Troy runs, right? If you've been to any of those sites, those are all powered by my intellect. And so he may have he may have the better voice, right? But but the but the original concepts are mine. That's right. That is true. I mean I, that that is absolutely true. I mean I have to be transparent and honest about it. I I, I mean you've taught me everything I know, man. Uh, Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> hey um final question. Um who would you like me to try and interview and why? Have you interviewed Tony Perez already? I haven't. No. Okay. So there you go. Um, it's clear that you have have uh, a pretty big gap in your thinking about who to interview because mm. I'm I'm what, what is this? What, what episode well, are we well, at? Well, so you you are episode ninety seven. Yeah, ninety seven. Right. So you, yeah. you interviewed ninety six people and you yeah. have have clearly missed yeah. me and yeah. then you missed Tony. Yeah. Have you interviewed Syed Balki? Uh, no, we've been having a conversation. Uh, we just haven't. We just. Ha- it's just. We just keep missing. So, it. so there okay. you go. Yeah, 98, okay. 99, yeah, okay. uh, At least. Um, so, so Tony. Here's the reason why. Tony has grown, has run, and grown. Uh, Security, one of the first, one of the major uh, SaaS businesses in the WordPress ecosystem, mm. and uh, he's done it and grown beyond WordPress to other platforms. Mm. Incredible story, lots of decision making, um, really brilliant guy, and very, very much hard worker. Mm. Uh, and then the other guy I really appreciate and and think is another brilliant and incredibly hard worker is Syed Balki. Um, he he has so many video views on YouTube. Mm that you don't say it in the number of millions, you now say it in the portions of billions. Mm. So he has a quarter of a billion, more than a quarter of a billion views on wow. his List 25 channel. Wow. Um, that, that doesn't happen by accident. Uh, and that's one of his 10 businesses. Uh, there is no more serious entrepreneur I know, and, he, and he's 24, uh, than oh. Syed Balki. So every time I wake up in the morning, you know, I think of Syed for a second and then I think my life sucks and then I <laughs> spend the rest of my day trying to make it feel better, right? Like, did I accomplish enough to go to bed tonight and feel okay with myself? And then you just end up in the hot tub smoking cigars. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's where it all ends anyway. Excellent. All right, well, Tony Perez and Syed Balki, I'm coming to get you again, courtesy of Chris Lemmer. So keep your eyes on your inbox and we'll get you on the podcast. Hey, Chris Lemmer, thank you so much for spending 54 minutes and 39 seconds with us on the WP Elevation podcast. I truly appreciate it and I know our listeners do as well. And hey, we need to announce the competition. Um, so you are giving away an hour of consulting with your good self. What is the question that you would like our, uh, our listeners to give you some feedback on in the comments underneath this podcast? What's the biggest pricing challenge that they're facing right now? All right. So you heard that. What is the biggest pricing challenge you're facing right now? You can leave your comment at wpelevation.com slash Chris Lemmer, and that's C-H-R-I-S-L-E-M-A, or one word, all lowercase, no underscores, spaces, hyphens, or tildes. Um, so uh, leave the comment underneath, and I'll get Chris to swing by in a couple of weeks and award the prize. Hey, man, thank you so much once again. I really appreciate it, and uh, keep in touch. Thank you very much. Thank you, man. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed getting to know Chris Lemmer as much as I enjoyed chatting with him. I always enjoy spending my time with Chris and I learn so much uh, every time we speak. In order to enter that competition, get on over to wpelevation.com forward slash Chris Lemmer, C-H-R-I-S-L-E-M-A. You know the deal, no spaces, no hieroglyphics, no tildes, no underscores, no hyphens, nothing. Just a one word, all lowercase, wpelevation.com forward slash Chris Lemmer. C-H-R-I-S-L-E-M-A. I hope you're enjoying the podcast as much as we are. Please get on over to iTunes and give us a five-star review. Even if you think we suck, we'd really appreciate a five-star review. It helps us come up in the search results. And, of course, if you're running a WordPress consulting business or you're a WordPress freelancer and you're doing client services, get on over to WPElevation.com. Sign up for all the free goodies that we're giving you at the moment and keep your eyes on the interwebs because on the 2nd of September... We are opening enrolments for our brand new WP Elevation Blueprint course, and we're only opening enrolments for seven days. We are taking in an intake of new students for seven days, and then we are shut for a while. So make sure you get in on the action. Uh, just get on, over, get on over to WPElevation.com for all the details. Next week on the podcast, we have Sarah Pressler. I'm looking forward to bringing you that episode. I hope you're enjoying this as much as we are. Until next week, I'm Troy Dean. Go Elevate. <laughs>